0: Uh, thinking about our awesome God and worshipping him and, and thinking about it. So how do you stop? But I've I decided that, uh, praying and thinking about it over August actually, that, that what I should do is bring things to a close with a couple of weeks next week and the week after on the Trinity, which uh, is not just a head-stretching thing, but something that provokes our worship and uh, an understanding of God, understanding of ourselves. And then... I personally, and I think others as well with me, we want to begin to look at the book of Acts together with the whole sense of outward looking and uh, of of just 10. We've got front edge. We've got the alpha. We, you know, there are many things coming up this year, and I I believe God wants to move us into a a new phase there. So before we get to that, I want to spend these next two or three weeks, three weeks, just looking still at our awesome God, because it stirs my heart, just makes us worship him and love him. And this week, I want to talk about the mercy of God, the mercy of God. Let's read a couple of passages. If you turn with me to Psalm 30, this is sort of poetry, if you like, about God and his mercy. And then I'm going to read a short New Testament passage, which is like more doctrine in, in a way. Psalm 30. I will exhort you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. O Lord, my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave, you spared me from going down into the pit. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his, praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I shall never be shaken. O Lord, when you favoured me, you made my mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What gain is there in my destruction, in my going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. That's a personal experience of the mercy of God, put uh, by David into a sort of poetry or song. Let's just read a few verses in Ephesians, in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 2. This is practical doctrinal teaching to Christians and it applies to all of us. We need to hear the truths in this. As for you, verse 1 of chapter 2 of Ephesians, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. who is rich in mercy. That's, if you like, the title or theme for this morning, what I want to share with you. God, who is rich in mercy. There's a theologian called Donald Guthrie who defines God's mercy this way. We do need to understand it, because mercy is a word we don't necessarily use as much as they used to. In the authorised version, just to digress for a minute, you'll often find the word mercy compared to in these newer translations, where there's often love or compassion. We'll talk about that in a moment. Here's Donald Guthrie's definition. God's mercy is closely allied to his love. The root meaning of mercy is compassion, and hence it's close link with love. It is essentially outward going, outgoing. Mercy is also inseparably linked with grace. But it is more specifically connected with righteousness. It is when the righteous judgments of God are considered that his mercy becomes a vivid reality. Now, as best I can understand it, what we're learning here is that actually God is love, God is grace, and God is rich in mercy. And these three attributes are sort of interlinked. You could actually use the same word, even when you're translating the Bible sometimes, there might be a Hebrew word you could use, grace, love, or or mercy. They are very, very closely linked. The reason I've chosen mercy to talk about, rather than just the love, and I'm not, I could have done that, and I perhaps should if I was doing a longer series, but the reason I've chosen mercy is that it reminds us that God's love is rooted in, in the fact that he has dealt with our unrighteousness and our sin. We have not got a right to expect God to love us. God's love is a merciful love. I want us to explore the word of mercy for a reason this morning. It is in a sense, a gives reality and definition to God's love. It is actually mercy. As someone else has said it, Mercy, God's mercy is the unmerited love of God relieving the misery of those who are bearing the consequences of sin. So I want us to dig into this for a few minutes and think about God's mercy. I'm going to look at seven just sort of truths and uh, expand them briefly. The first one is that God is rich in mercy. I am so glad that God is rich in mercy. Aren't you? I'm glad that the one who created everything the creator of all things, who is actually all-powerful, all-knowing, holy. We've seen all those things as we looked at this awesome God. But he is fundamentally a God of mercy. Thank God that the hand that rules over all things is rich in mercy. But just let it sink in. God is merciful. Psalm 145, and verses 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and rich in mercy. He has mercy on all he has made. The one with absolute power who could be whatever he wants to be, you could argue, that one who is answerable to no one and nothing is fundamentally biased to mercy. That's scripture. He's he's revealed himself as fundamentally biased to mercy. He has mercy or compassion, as it's translated sometimes, on all he has made. We read already, his anger lasts for a moment, his mercy endures forever. So God's mercy, if you like, is stronger than his anger, than his wrath. He loves to respond out of mercy. Now there's going to be practical reasons why we need to understand this. He loves to respond out of his mercy and compassion. We are always on a winner when we appeal to his mercy. But you don't get anything out of God by arguing with him and shaking your fist at him. Now, we all do feel angry with God. The psalmist does sometimes. I do sometimes. And why is this happening? And in a way, God can handle our raving and ranting. And I'm not being lighthearted here. We can be real with God. But if we really want to touch his heart, if we really want to do business with God, we need to appeal to his mercy to his compassion. And that requires, in a sense, our humility. We sort of kneel before him and say, God, have mercy on me. Now that is touching his heart. Let's think of that. So God is rich in mercy. Let's think of another fact. God's mercy is not cold and condescending. You can think of this like, like, like that, mercy. You can think of it like some tyrant or some a potentate who occasionally just spares someone's life, arbitrarily executing people and then coldly or condescendingly allowing mercy on one here and there. That isn't what we're talking about. We're talking about a word, as I've already said, that is closely allied to, to love and compassion. Basically the same root word. As in our English translation, you find them overlapping. Mercy, love and compassion. So God's mercy is not cold condescension. It comes out of his love and his heart, compassion. And the most obvious fact about that is seen in Jesus Christ because Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. In 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3, God is called the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and then a few words later, the Father of Compassion. I don't think that's accidental. Jesus Christ is a manifestation of the compassion of God. He is a manifestation of the mercy of God. Think of Jesus in your Bible. Think of Jesus with the woman at the well. Think of Jesus with the leper. Think of Jesus with Zacchaeus. Think of Jesus in whatever context you like, and then also think of him dying for our sin and and bearing our sorrows. And you have there a manifestation of God's mercy and compassion. It's not a cold thing. It's, it's deeply passionate. We sometimes call, don't we, Jesus' death, uh, the passion. We did that last Easter, just called the passion. This, this is not a cold mercy. God's mercy is rooted in his heart of compassion and love. When Jesus was born, the angels ripped aside the curtain of heaven and said, Good will to all men on earth, men and women on earth. Good will to, to men on earth. Well, Jesus was God's good will, God's mercy. To us here on Earth, he came on a mercy mission. He was mercy manifest in every way, and it was costly. He got down into the mess of our lives. He died. He suffered death and abuse. This is costly. This is no cold condescension from a, a, a sort of arbitrary potentate just dis- dishing out the occasional act of mercy. This is God's very heart. God is full of passion and compassion. And it focuses around his mercy. The third thing, which is related really, God is motivated by his mercy. This can, you know, sometimes mercy can seem like a, a sort of weak thing. I don't know how to describe it really, like, like feeling sorry for someone, just being, pitying them. You know, just uh, sometimes uh, just sort of feeling a little bit uh, sympathetic and sorry. But God's mercy somehow is something much more than that. It's something that powerfully motivates his action. It's what motivated him to send Jesus to die for us. It's what drove him to the cross in Jesus Christ. This is, again, not a a weak little sort of emotion. This is the driving force behind the heart of God. He is a merciful God. He's merciful and mighty. And actually, we can't make God do anything for us. You can't make God do a thing for you. You can't make him heal you. You can't make him save you. You can't make him do good for you. You you know, people try that, try to manipulate God and confess something out of him and, and, and use some sort of mantra. But actually, the appeal that works is an appeal to his mercy. God, I don't deserve this but I'm crying out to you because I know you're merciful and mighty and a God of compassion. We need to get to know the God we're dealing with, not to whinge at him and cajole him and try and twist his arm, but to realise he is merciful. He's motivated by that. His mercy endures forever. Think of Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's how it is. That as we walk with God, his mercy and his goodness are like, as someone said, like the sheepdogs that guide us through our lives. We don't need to sort of try and twist his arm. We don't need some mantra-like approach of confession or some sort of uh, almost trying to emotionally blackmail God to do something. He wants us to walk in faith that what he's said about himself is true. He said he's merciful and loving and compassionate. And we believe that. As it says in Romans four sixteen, therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace. We put faith in what God has said He is like, and, and we put faith in His grace, faith in His mercy, and God will deal with us always on that basis. And He wants us to believe that He is like He said He is. You know, actually, I, I do firmly believe that God's mercy fundamentally motivates all He does. Even when God lays down standards for sin, against sin, you know, Ten Commandments, things that restrict sin, I think it's not so much, though it is true, God is holy and he just wants to destroy sin and limit it. It's actually his mercy that fundamentally drives him. God knows that sin destroys and spoils and maims and ultimately kills. And so when he sets a standard, It's in mercy to restrain the effects of sin. Something like the Ten Commandments, something like God's sexual morality standards. People think God's being a meanie, think God's being just awkward. It's motivated by mercy because God knows the effects of rampant sin. And so just in his mercy, he sometimes puts in law to guide us. Though obviously the great thrust of his mercy is forgiveness and cleansing as we'll see in a minute. But even the law is a a, a manifestation of the mercy of God. And we should never despise it. We should never say, God's just a spoil sport. He's not. He knows the damage and he is putting in mercy, sort of shutters, mercy boundaries sometimes to try and restrain its evil spread. We mustn't cling to our sin. We mustn't wallow in sin. We must come to him and let him be merciful and cleanse us. Jesus said, Come all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We're not, that's the heart of God, to give us peace and rest, to give us release from the sin, the damage sin does. Okay, let's move on. God can be truly merciful because he is all powerful. He is merciful and mighty. Never despise mercy. And we can do this with our human thinking. We can think mercy is a sort of weakness it's not actually if you think logically it, the opposite is true it is the powerful that can be merciful you don't find a sort of Mr Puny being merciful to a Mr Universe you know you don't find some great strong guy who could beat anybody up uh, you know being some little weedy chap coming up and saying I'm going to be merciful to you that's, that's not so, it's the other way round it's the strong that are merciful to the weak that is particularly true with God it's obviously true He chooses to display it. He has power to destroy us. He has power to judge us. He owes us nothing. But he chooses to be merciful. And he can be. We mustn't mess about with God. We mustn't sort of despise it. We must understand that God, out of his strength, is merciful. He wants to set us free from the consequences of sin. He doesn't like sin. He doesn't tolerate it. He hates it. He knows what it will do. But he's also prepared to answer the problem. He's prepared to deal with it. His his mercy is not a that's okay, toleration, forget it, doesn't matter type thing. That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about a strong mercy that can deal with the problem and forgive us, pay for our sin and set us free. So let's move on. God's mercy will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This is a fact. I could have said more on that sentence. God's mercy means that he is determined to cleanse us from the effect of every sin we've committed, from its unrighteousness, its judgment, and he's also prepared to set us free from its ongoing effects in our lives. As one old hymn puts, it cleanses us from the guilt and the power of sin. God's mercy is that strong and effective. One of the reasons that the devil doesn't want us to understand the mercy of God is because of this. Because he knows that when we really get hold of this, we will motor with God. We understand God wants to cleanse me. God has cleansed me. Out of his mercy and compassion, he wants to break the hold of Satan and sin in my life. There's a verse in Proverbs that says this, By mercy and truth, sin is purged. By mercy and truth. God's mercy, not your hard work, not your feelings, your emotions, but mercy and truth, sin is purged. That is how it's purged. Sin is totally dealt with by God's mercy and truth. Later in Proverbs, it says this, Proverbs twenty-eight, thirteen. He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Now, here's a bit of wisdom. If you want to be really free from the damage of sin, in your own life and in others. You need to find the mercy route. You need to find the way to say, God, I am sorry. I confess and renounce my part in this. And then you will find mercy. I don't, I don't say that every time we have done something wrong with every prayer request we come. But, so don't misunderstand me. But what we do need to do is to find the way, if we are dealing with, with issues of morality or sin or issues of failure and weakness, we need to find the way of humility and appeal to mercy. We need to ask God to forgive us and cleanse us. That's how we really open the door to heaven. Cover-ups, and we're thinking here, you know, and denial, phrase we use, denial, cover-up, suppression things. That never is going to work with God. He knows it all anyway. And so, as as the proverb says, he who conceals his sin does not prosper. Whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Never be frightened of throwing yourself on God's mercy. You may have messed up. We all do. You may have failed completely by your own standards, let alone God's. You know that you make a mess of things that you wish you didn't. Never be frightened of saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm talking to believers as well. Don't let's miss this. Don't let's come proud or arguing. Let's always be open to the mercy of God. He loves it. I just want to read to you, you can turn to it actually, a little passage in Titus, which spells out how this all works, even in salvation as well. But we're all enjoying that. Let's just look at Titus Uh, If you've got a Bible and you can find it quickly, that's fine. If you can't, I'll just read it to you. Titus 3 and verses 3 to 7. I think it's just such a, a wonderful little passage that reminds us of the practical reality of God's mercy that cleanses us from sin and unrighteousness and goes on cleansing us, actually. So it's Titus 3 and verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures do you realize that is how you naturally were that is how we are basically foolish and disobedient from god's perspective deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures we lived in malice and envy being hated and hating one another that's our natural human state tends that way yeah, it's not all bad. Not everything we do is bad. That's never true. But everything is tainted with things like envy and pride and selfishness. And often it does manifest itself in tensions and hatreds. But look at verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared. That's Jesus. That is talking about Jesus Christ. When the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared. His incarnation. He was an incarnation of the love and mercy and compassion of God. He saved us, verse 5, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. That's how you are saved from sin to start with and for the rest of your life, that is the way, the basis of the whole deal, mercy. Not by the things you've done. You never get saved by your good works. You don't get saved by your efforts, by getting your ducks in a row morally and being tidy and clean and and a good citizen. Those aren't the things that put you right with God. You need the mercy of God. And you have it through Jesus Christ. Not by things that we have done, but because of his mercy. How did he do it? He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour. So that, having been justified by grace we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is some act of mercy. He not only forgives your sin, he washes you clean from it, he gives you a new start, rebirth, and you are renewed in the Holy Spirit who is poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ. This is some salvation. This is some mercy. I'm not just spared. It's not like you are a criminal, but I won't judge you. You know, some potentate again, some dictator, instead of being executed, will let you go. This is far more. This is not only forgiven, washed clean, new start, new birth, renewed of the Holy Spirit, poured out on us generously. Do you believe God pours the Holy Spirit out generously? I do. I believe God is not mean and stingy. He's a God of mercy and compassion and he's generous. This is all rooted in his mercy. Because of his mercy, it's there in, in verse 4. And, and, and because of that, God says, not only do I bring you to birth, you my child, I pour out my spirit on you generously. Some of you struggle with the Holy Spirit. Like, well, you need to understand, God, God's not mean, he's not holding it back like a, a sort of little sweetie for when you're a good child. He actually pours it out generously on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done. Through Jesus Christ our Saviour. He's done it all. I can generously receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You can be bathed in the Holy Spirit because of God's mercy. He wants you to be filled to overflowing. It's the right of the Christian. It's the norm of the Christian. And it's all rooted in the mercy of God. What a deal. We become joint heirs with Christ. It's all in here. We have the hope of eternal life. This is some mercy. It's some effectiveness. No wonder my next line would be that God's mercy gives us hope. God's mercy provides us with hope. There's this, uh, only just this moment or two. You know, there's a lot of depression and misery around. I find it a lot in in our culture. I think people are quite, by and large, quite prone to it, to be honest. And uh, I'm not surprised. It's one of the side effects of of sin and the way we all live and the damage that happens. But, But it's not new either. And in Lamentations, if you're a depressive, you want to read Lamentations 3, and it will echo with you. It also, provide some answers, as I'm going to say. But, but when Jeremiah is bluntly pretty depressed, and you get phrases like that, he's filled. He feels filled with bitter herbs. He says, "I feel I'm filled with bitter herbs. I've been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. My soul is downcast within me." He was having a rough time. Okay, some of us get like that and feel like a whole thing is like bitter herbs and, you know, no, I've forgotten what it is to be happy and prosperous. My soul is downcast within me. And then you get this bit, which I'm actually reading from the Living Translation because it brings the mercies in. They all change. Sometimes they put compassions and stuff like that. So this one says a little more about mercy. Because then he said all that and then Jeremiah says this, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. So this is what turns depression. If you're depressed, and we do get it, you need to remember this, and it's this. The unfailing love of the Lord never ends. Right? First thing to remember when you're depressed. You say, oh, it's hard. Of course it's hard. It's hard to get up in the morning when you're depressed. It's hard to do anything. I know that. I've tasted the edge of it. I know that. But you need to, dis- you need to bring yourself to remember this. The unfailing love of the Lord never ends. Then this line. By his mercies we have been kept from complete destruction. That's not a bad place to start. I mean, it's a little bit makes you smile, but it's a good place to start. You don't deserve to be alive. You only breathe because of the mercy of God. Do you know, if God executed his judgment now, we would all be judged instantly. You need to understand that. We don't deserve God's favour. This says, by his mercies we've been kept from complete destruction. It's by his mercy you've got this far. He's going to give you more as you appeal to his mercy. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every day. Every day God is merciful. His mercies last forever. Every day he's rich in mercy. He's never going to run out of mercy. His anger lasts for a moment, but his mercy lasts forever. His, his loving kindness, his compassion, and he's rich in it. You can keep tapping into his mercy every day. I say to myself, says Jeremiah, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. This is how Jeremiah sorted himself out in that deep depression. He remembered that it was only by God's mercy he was even still standing. Then he remembered God's faithfulness, and he said, it's fresh every morning, his mercy. The Lord is my inheritance, inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is wonderfully good to those who wait for him and seek him. So it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's good to seek God as the answer to your need and depression. Don't run away from him, run to him, run to his mercy. God knows about our weaknesses and failures. God knows our mistakes. Don't don't let them dictate to you. Come and appeal to his mercy. You know, I often find I'm trapped sometimes by just an awareness of my own failure and my own limitations. I really am. Quite a sort of little streak in me that could be quite depressive. Perhaps I'm a bit manic because you all think I'm... <laughs> I'm going to do a little psychoanalysis of myself here in front of 200 300 people. But, you know, because I, I, I am quite cheerful but I can have this streak and you think, I just feel... I'm just, and, and you really need to understand God knows you're not perfect. God knows your weaknesses. And He still loves you. And it's only by the mercy of God you got this far. I honestly find that sometimes really encouraging. I think, well, it, but it's only by the mercy of God. Think of the good things God you've done for me. By your mercy I'm here at all. (laughs) And you can begin to list the other blessings. And honestly, it is a place to start if you're down the tube. And realise that that isn't something that God owed you, it's just his goodness to you and his mercy. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of our lives. We need to remember this, because of his mercy we are not consumed, as it says in another translation. He is faithful. You know, when you trust God, he's not going to exploit you. I used to think that, I, I think I've got through it now. But I used to be a bit frightened of trusting God because I think he's going to abuse this trust. If I say to God, i give you everything, I think, oh, he's going to take it all away. He's going to kill my children and stuff. Do you ever think like that? Perhaps you don't. No, again, this is doing me good if it's not doing you good. But but actually, I've learned that God is not like that. You need to say what he's like. Do you know what I mean? You need to say, you can trust him. Actually, I've got your good at heart. I want to bless you. So, you know, God, remember what he's like. God said, please accept what I've told you about myself. Please accept my revelation. I am rich in mercy and compassionate to all I've made. So, finally, we can receive mercy. That's the wonderful, wonderful truth. And you do need to turn to this one, just the last verse Look at, that we're turning to. Look at Hebrews 4 in this last point. Turn to Hebrews 4. This is not theory. You can experience God's mercy readily and freely. We're just going to read a few verses, but the, three or four verses, but the one I really want is verse uh, 16. But we'll read from 14. So Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. We can learn to receive mercy. Therefore, this is where it starts, understanding this. Since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So there's the first thing. Let's hold firmly to it. Let's not be manby, pamby Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yes. Do you believe he's the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe he died for your sins? Yes. Do you believe he's alive, rose from the dead? Yes. Well, hold firmly to those things and, and get them deep in your spirit. He is living to intercede for you now. Do you believe God is a God of love and mercy? Do you? Yes. Good. Let's hold firmly to them. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses. He can sympathise with our weaknesses. He understands our weaknesses. We have one who was, has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Right. That's the basis. Right. Verse 16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. Not based on just a few weird emotions, based on what we understand about God, what we see in Jesus Christ. You could say, based on the sort of verses we read in in Titus 3 just now, the truth we read in Titus 3. Okay, let us then, on the basis of that, approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That is a wonderful verse. It's one of those verses you ought to sort of stick up in your fridge or something because it is an important verse. We come confidently when we come on the basis of grace and mercy. If you try and come on the basis of I've been a good Christian, you owe me one, Lord, that is not a confident way to come. But a confident way to come to God is on the basis of his mercy. You can receive mercy. It's not Lord, what I'm asking for is not based on the fact that you owe this to me, it's based on the fact of what you've amazingly done in Jesus and will you not freely give me all things in Jesus Christ? So I come on the basis of your mercy and grace confidently to your throne. Be, be, be ready to believe God is a merciful God. In Psalm 136, we're clearly not going to turn to it, it's not not worth it time-wise, but the writer remembers again and again the mercy of God. And he says it's out of God's mercy we were delivered from slavery, he worked miracles for us, he destroyed our enemies, he fed us, he blessed us, he prospered us. His mercy endures forever. It's his love endures forever in our translations. But the original would be likely to be more mercy as it is in the King James. It's merciful love and it endures forever. Now, God's mercy is available and he is motivated by it. So it must be the key to getting through with God. And you've got to look at your New Testament and look at Jesus to to find a few examples very quickly as we close. Think of blind Bartimaeus. What did he cry out for healing? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus in the crowd, and it wouldn't have been a quiet crowd. I mean, a crowd is noisy. It'd be like going down the middle of Winchester High Street on a Saturday or something. There's a whole load of people. It'd be worse than that, really, because there's people crowding around Jesus and shouting. And a voice comes, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus listens. Who's that? Who's asking for mercy? It's like the cry for mercy comes over the other noises, comes into the ear of God. Someone wants my mercy. I'm rich in mercy. I like that. Who wants mercy? Who is it who's crying for mercy? And it's, it's true. That's how Jesus responds. Bring him here. Bring Bartimaeus here. Bring the man who wants mercy here. Bring the man. And they say, come on, he's calling for you. And they bring him in. And it's like Jesus said, I want the man who wants mercy to come here. Jesus, because he understands me. He understands how I operate. He understands my grace. And I want to have mercy on him. Let me see him. Bring him through the crowd. There's another example, sort of a bit more of a negative one in a way. In Luke 18, Jesus told the proverb or the parable, whatever, parable, I suppose, not proverb, parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector praying. Do you remember that one? And the Pharisee comes and says, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like other people. And I do this and I do that and I do that. And he gets nowhere with God. And the tax collector, who's a right mess and a villain, actually, tax collectors were not nice people. Dave was explaining that about Zacchaeus. They did exploit people and rip people off. And he knows he's bad. And he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He doesn't even lift his head, it says. He can't even look up. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus is very specific. That man went home and got something from God. That man went home justified. The other one just prayed with himself himself and had a little self-adulation few minutes and went home and God didn't respond at all. It's interesting, God doesn't answer every prayer, it would seem. I mean, we can sometimes pray to ourselves. I mean, God hears it all, but the prayers that he answers seem to be the ones that are based on grace and mercy. Come confidently and ask for mercy. Lord God, have mercy on me a sinner. Broke open heaven. Touch the heart of God. So, there is much to learn in mercy. If we want to release God into our lives in a situation, I think we need to almost learn how to touch the, the heart of God. to touch I don't want to use a bad analogy here, um don't want to suggest it's a lever or something, but touch the, the release thing of mercy. It's almost like that. It's, it's what draws God to us, it draws the answers to us. It's something we can confidently come on the basis of. It Maybe you are tussling with something. I'm sure you, many of us are tussling with a depression or tussling with a healing. Maybe a backslidden child. Maybe an unsafe partner. Maybe a financial pressure. Or maybe a sin that dogs us again and again. Whatever it is, you need to find a way to be saying, in effect, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And don't use it just as a word, but somehow, like Bartimaeus, he wasn't phony, nor was the tax collector. There was a reality that they knew that's what they needed. And it is is the way to break through with God, because he's rich in mercy. He is a great and merciful God. And I want us to worship him for a few minutes. We've just got perhaps a quarter of an hour or so, just after half past. But I, I want us to worship him together. And somehow in the middle of that, I think God will lead us how to respond. But I want us to enjoy his mercy. I don't want you to be too heavy about it. I think it's sobering, but it's not like heavy. It's it's great, wonderful. It's glorious. And we want to be saying, Lord, thank you for your mercy and your love. And if you're, just as the musicians come up, thank you. If you're not a Christian this morning, I want you to know that you can be because this mercy is available for you. Your biggest problem is likely to be that you don't think you need God's mercy. That's likely to be your biggest problem. The problem's not on God's side. The problem's on your side. You either think, you know, you're not too bad, perhaps, or maybe sometimes people think I'm too bad. Maybe it's something like that, but basically God's mercy is available for you and you aren't too bad. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you've done, there is mercy free and flowing. You can come and receive forgiveness and cleansing and renewal through the Holy Spirit by faith in Jesus Christ. But actually, often the problem is a sort of pride. It's a sort of like, I don't, you know, God will get a favour if he gets me. I don't know, I don't think about it. I don't know if it suits me, if it will fit my lifestyle. You won't get anything out of God that way round. You've got to come and throw yourself on his mercy. But you need it. You need it for this life and the life to come just encourage you as we worship, just to let that think sink in and think. Don't be proud like the Pharisee and go home with nothing. Just sort of spend the time just singing to yourself, praying to yourself and go home. You need to go home like the tax collector, knowing you've been justified, knowing you've had peace with God, knowing you know God and he owns you as his own. So let's, let's just worship together and let's see what God will do with us for the next few minutes.